Welcome to The Map Room, your guide to navigating the challenges of business ownership. A podcast about how to take the right steps when the going is hard. Join Paul Barnes, Stuart Brown and special guests as they discuss the difficult truths and tough situations that business owners face and dare to take on. Brought to you by Map. Well, welcome and hello to another episode in The Map Room podcast where understanding the battlefield better and plotting the best, maybe the less risky course can give you and your business a competitive advantage. Today we're going to cover another one of our difficult truth episodes and this is where we talk about those areas that can affect your business, can affect you in maybe today personally and is an area that is not that well known and in my opinion not that well covered because it's not always the glamorous side of business ownership and entrepreneurship and today we're talking specifically the truth about insolvency. Hopefully that's something that's never going to be required for you in your business but an understanding can be hugely hugely valuable as it can affect both your own ability to own the business and even run a business in the future which I'm sure we'll understand and talk more about later. Um, I always like to try and put some context around this, and I will put some context to, I saw recently, and this was through the, uh, we're sat in Salford today, and we're sat looking at the BBC, and the BBC News kindly put some information out just over a week ago that said, the number of companies going bust this year is on track to be the highest since the depths of the financial crisis back in 2009, which put my ears up and made me um, look a little bit closer. So the latest official figures for England and Wales showed that insolvencies had risen 10% from a year ago in the three months at the end of September, but maybe more alarmingly up by a further 17.5% just in the month of October alone. So I think we're certainly seeing a trend in this. And there's also been a sharp rise in the number of firms that are declared as at risk of going bust. And again, we're going to talk about that later, how you can uh, assess your own business and where you are and where you recognise that might be a reality for yourself. The definition of that is what um, the uh, regulators refer to as, as firms in what's called critical financial distress, and they jumped 25% in the last three months. And that definition is those businesses or those directors of having county court judgments that exceed a value of £5,000 against them, which is often a precursor to, sadly, um, liquidation or some kind of going under uh, later in the day. So as per normal, uh, we have what we describe as a subject matter expert with us in the room, and I'm delighted to introduce our guest today. Uh, Our guest today is Jimmy Fish, and Jimmy is a partner at Cowgills, a professional services uh, business both locally here in in Manchester, but also uh, covering the North West and and nationally. Uh, He's also, however, more importantly for today's conversation, uh, Jimmy's a licensed insolvency practitioner, so definitely the right man to have in the room for our conversation today. So, Jimmy, I'm going to say thanks so much for giving your time up to come in, uh, and welcome into the map room. Thank you very much, Stuart. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I suppose the obvious question in the introduction is uh, yourself as a licensed insolvency practitioner, uh, probably a long sentence for many people, um, but what is a insolvency practitioner? So an insolvency practitioner is an officer of the court who is licensed by a authorised regulatory body to undertake formal insolvency appointments in the UK. And when you say uh, or regulatory authority body... Explain that to me. So I understand you saying an officer of the court, so the ability to carry on uh, 
well, how far does that go? An officer of the court means what? And what is the regulatory body there? So officer of the court is we're bound by a legal framework called the Insolvency Act. So we have to obviously adhere to those that, that legislation. And in terms of regulatory body, in order to become an insolvency practitioner, you have to pass a set of fairly demanding exams. Um, and then once you've done that, you apply to, in my case, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales to be granted an insolvency licence. And they will judge you on your experience in that field, make sure you've got sufficient experience in insolvency. And if they think you're fit and, pro- pro- uh, fit and proper to be granted a licence to act as an insolvency practitioner. I see. So I, I didn't realise that it sat necessarily under the same um, as in, you know, chartership as accountancy would. Um, one of the areas that we often have um, discussions with, and I'm going to be honest and say issues with, with sometimes with um, not so much um, clients once we have them, but people um, talking with clients is is where they believe they can get a cheaper service and you find out that, but that's not a chartered accountant. Is that something that is an issue in the business of insolvency. Are, are there unlicensed uh, insolvency practitioners or does that not exist? No, I wouldn't say that. You probably get advisors in that respect yeah. to you know, offer people, tell people to do things and yeah. this, that and the other, but it will always be an, a, a licensed insolvency practitioner who has to put his name on the assignment and justify his actions. So when I mentioned about being highly regulated, I have the Institute come out to see me every year to make sure that I'm doing my job properly yeah. and I'm fit and proper to to act as an insolvency yeah. practitioner. So that basically, once every three years, they'll come yeah. to the office, they'll pick a selection of cases that I've worked on, and they'll go through my strategy, see what I've done with the creditors, the claims, the, the assets, yeah. what I've realised, what I've done about the investigations into yeah. conduct, all that kind of stuff, and make sure I'm working to, you know in line with the regulatory code effectively and that I'm doing my job properly. Okay, that's that's something that maybe I didn't realise and maybe lots of our listeners didn't realise. Obviously, I understood the legal framework side and the bit that said, look, I'm here as a, you know, a court appointee in this process. But I didn't realise that your, I suppose, your then conduct and, as you, you mentioned there, you know, the, the strategy and the process, and we'll talk about process later, but the processes you work actually get examined in almost what I would call in the county phrase, audited. Yeah, I mean, our reports on, on insolvency assignments are in the public domain, the file at company's house, so you know, people can see them and see what we've been doing. And ultimately, our, our fees and the cost of the process are all agreed with the creditors in those assignments. So what the what the Institute of Chartered Accountants, in my case, would do is just to come along and make sure that, what a, for example, my fees, my remuneration, yeah. that's the hot topic. Yeah. Is it sensible? Is it fair? Have yeah. I offered good value services? Yeah. And have the creditors, you know, questioned it or have they accepted it and... That kind of stuff. Does it does it does it reflect the nature of the assignment that I've, yeah. that I've performed? Yeah. Mm, wow. Well, let's let's go back to maybe then the the trigger point in this. So, obviously, you've explained what a licensed insolvency practitioner is, but maybe let's go back to the start of that. What's the legal definition of insolvency? So, uh, insolvency for a company or an individual is essentially they, they cannot pay the debts. So, there's two tests of insolvency in the Insolvency Act under Section One Two Three. The first test is a balance sheet test. So the, the liabilities outweigh their assets. If it does, then technically insolvent. And then the second test is a cash flow test. If a creditor is asking for money that's due and payable yeah. to them and they haven't got the cash to pay them, then that can escalate into a legal action and ultimately a winding up petition. So again, that's another test of insolvency. Yeah. So obviously we often talk to lots of our clients about, uh, and and you know my, my advice is, you know, that, and, and I'm, I'm maybe only saying half the story there is, that the yes, there's the balance sheet piece, 
Um, and the balance sheet piece is what we would refer to then as negative equity or a phrase that lots of business owners will recognise. So there's brackets and there's a negative number on that balance sheet. Although that, in the way in which many of our clients and small business uh, operators and owners will work is that might be a temporary position because there's been um, potentially dividends paid and it's going to go on a director's loan. It might yeah. be a, a temporary thing. You know, what, what I tend to say is there's a, there's a supportive creditor in there. So some, on the balance sheet, there's a big liability, but that's a creditor that's either connected or supported what's going yes. on, understand the position. So there's no yes. real pressure or stress on that business, even yes. though the balance sheet is technically insolvent. Yes. At that point yes. in time, they've got the ability to carry on because yes. they've got support of the big creditor and they're not worse in the position of other creditors. Gotcha. So the driver is, and that's where I was I was going on, so my thing is always, my golden rule is, can you pay the creditors at a time when they're basically ask for it? And hence why some of the KPIs we put in our management accounts are the classic acid test, you know, the quick ratio, and then we like to have a KPI that also says, you know, in my opinion, you should have probably three months overhead uh, you know, free cash available, yeah. etc. So, what you're saying there is that there is the the balance sheet being negative is not a although it's a warning and it's a red flag, it's not a death knell. So, help me understand, and more importantly, help the listeners understand where do where does the business owner sit and where the directors sit in what people refer to as trading insolvently. So, you're saying there that there may be a technically insolvent balance sheet but there may not be creditor pressure. And so is that not classed as trading insolvently? And where is the law on the director's responsibilities of trading solvently or insolvently? So essentially, trading insolvently, um, it would result in a wrongful trading claim upon insolvency. So you'd look back and you'd look at the financial position and you'd see it worsening. And if the director knew or ought to have known at any point in time yeah. that he was causing further loss to creditors... Yeah then he can be pursued for a claim yep. for misfeasance and ordered by the court, ultimately, mm. to make a personal contribution to the loss that's been suffered mm. by the creditors. In your example you've given there, or yep. when I give you the example about when I have a supportive creditor, if their position has just remained neutral, they've, they've, or they put more money in, and they're, they're happy to do so, they knew about yep. what's going on, yep. they wouldn't technically cause any issues because they knew about it it's the other creditors who you know didn't have any control or yes, influence yes. who have just gone along with the ride and yes. then been burnt because of someone else's yes. actions yes. it's those people who've been worse than the position been yes. worsened for yes. and those people will be the ones who would be angry and yep. frustrated and, and potentially want a claim to to be um, progressed so you've explained there what insolvency is and what the definition of insolvency is and i suppose that's a like everything in accounting, it's a snap in time. It's a what does a balance sheet say today, and what does your creditor position say today? Um, where do you see the areas that where companies are maybe not understanding that they are? In, you, you've used a phrase there, increasing that risk or the risk of. We'll come back later, maybe to, to the misfeasance piece. But where do? Where do most small businesses make the errors? What most what areas lead to insolvency, and where do they continue to trade when maybe they should be talking to somebody like yourself? In terms of carrying on to trade insolvently, from from my experience, what I've seen, I, I, I think the, the main one is is just simple denial, where mm. you know the business the business owners have had the business for many years. It's all they know. They want to keep it going. They want to keep paying the wages of the staff on a Friday. Yeah, and. You know, they don't realise they're doing anything wrong. And then yeah. when they finally do reach out, then, you know, it's too late and it's a terminal event. And then you're looking back saying, well, hang on a minute. Mm. You knew this was, was, was 
trust and mm. beyond rescue at this point in time. And you know, there's potential mm. issues against the director for that. Uh, other ones we've seen are whereby a company has geared up for a potential new contract or further work from a customer, which they've been promised. Yeah. And they're sat there waiting. They've, yeah. they've got the staff and the resources ready to go, and the order doesn't materialise yeah. or the contract doesn't come through. Yeah. And then they've burnt three months of cash yeah. in wages, increased overheads, mm. tools and equipment, whatever it was. And then obviously they turn around and saying, well, I've made the position worse. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah. that's the reason they've done yeah. it. Yeah. And again, is that, you know, the, I suppose the you must see this, and I'm not going to say in most cases because that might be unfair, but you must see it in many cases where... At the end of the day, there is, you know, we talk about the entrepreneurial mindset and the entrepreneurial spirit. And obviously, you have to be an optimist um, to start a business and you probably have to be an optimist to carry on with the business. But there's that point of, as you say, denial, naivety, um, you know, hoping that some fairy dust is going to land and, and change the situation. If that's happened where, as you say, I mean, and, and that's a great example of um, gearing up for a project and, and the... the the market sector that we represent will recognise this in a project where they've been um, maybe uh, pitching to a large client. It might be a new client. It's someone they're not, they've not worked with before. It's a specific, um, let's just use an example of a development. So a web bill for somebody, there's a specific tech required. They've got to have more developers. They've got to employ maybe more project managers and because they are keen, the business owner's keen, they jump in, they resource it, as you say. They might be running for three months with that resource. And then I'm going to say that the negative impact is is sort of beyond their control, if that makes sense. The customer says, uh, or the non-yet customer says, I'm really sorry, um, something's happened and we're not, we can't go ahead with this project now. Where does that sit with the concept of behaviour? Because in my eyes there... Um, I'm looking at somebody who's probably made decisions for the right reason. Is it about how quickly they change it, how quickly they recognise the issue? Where does the responsibility lie in something like that? I suppose it's down to the evidence, and if they, you know, they've had regular board meetings to discuss yeah. the financial position, yeah. and you know they've got sufficient belief that the contract is yeah. going to be awarded or the work is going to come in. Uh, you know, they're not just praying and hoping that a, the phone yeah. will ring and a new job will come through. They actually got something tangible to fall back on and say, yeah. look, here's the emails, here's the, the draft contract, here's, yeah. here's how far we yeah. got with this yeah. agreement. You know, the, it was it was our belief that, you know, we were going to to be awarded this contract or this work yeah. and we were going to make a success of it and, you know, and, and benefit the company. Yeah. So, and, and obviously the, the, the byproduct is that maybe they've drained cash and it's yeah. come to a terminal insolvency event. They haven't benefited from that. They've just, you know, the whole decision-making process was around the, the continuity and thrival of the business yeah. and, and preserving jobs and keeping it going. Uh, you've said something there that I think is a really important point is you use the word evidence. And we often say this to people, you know, we, as the accountants, we provide um, financial information. And there are those businesses for whom, you know, it's just there is a compliance aspect and every year you have to produce some numbers. And we, you know, our our most proactive clients will receive management accounts every month. And um, 
or I should say many do, the most proactive actually will engage with them and even have representation from a finance partner or a client accountant in our business that actually talks those directors through those through those numbers. And I think at times, very often, um, people think that we are selling that detail because that's what we do and we can put a price on it. And I do try and say to people, but it's important, not only is there a responsibility for you to understand it, but this is your this is the evidence. You know, I, I whenever when I do any of my non-exec stuff, you know, I will produce board minutes for that reason because it doesn't matter sitting down with somebody like yourself in nine months' time and saying, oh, yeah, but I'm sure we discussed that. Was it May? Was it June? When we've got the minutes to say, you know, and that would be a great example, we've taken this decision to take this project manager on and we minute the fact that suddenly there's a delay to this project, that evidence is available at such time and it comes back. How, how many times do you see an issue then, Jimmy, where... You And it's not about, you know, as you say, I'm, I'm not suggesting uh, there will always be some characters you do or don't believe in this as, as we all meet in, in any court, in any um, you know, aspect of our business. But there must be instances where you believe what the person's telling you, but you just can't find the evidence and therefore can't back up the claim. I, mean, I, mean, I suppose the most common error that leads to it all is, like I say, you, you offer that service there to provide all that real financial information to, to um, assist business decisions. I mean, without that, how are they ever going to know, say, that their overheads are too high and yeah. the, what savings they could make? You know, and if, if cash, because cash is king yeah. in someone's yeah. and it, it, it ultimately, they can't pay the wages on a Friday, then the doors close and yeah. that's it, game's over. But if they had that real information and regular discussions yeah. with, you know, you guys, for example, then they'd be able to identify where they could potentially save some cash, mm. um, you know, critical critical cash flow points. Um and, and yeah, the, the lack of re- uh, relevant financial information to people mm. it causes a big problem because a lot of the guys I see, the owner managers, they're good at the specifics of the job. So yes, the craft. Might, it might be yeah, the craft. Yeah. It, might, it might be a builders or a joiners yeah. or yeah. shop fitters yeah. or a manufacturer or, or, or someone's good at sales. Yeah. But they're just going off doing that bit of the work and yeah. the records are not, you know, yeah. not up to date. There's no one recording anything. They're yeah. falling behind with tax payments. Yeah. And before yeah. you know it, they've got a big tax bill coming through. And they're thinking, oh, I've been doing well. Yeah. Because they've not had the you know the finger on the yeah. pulse and yeah. they've, they've not seen it coming. Yeah. And you know, it comes back to bite them. Yeah. So one of the real common errors is that. And and obviously the, the and another one we see is they don't they can't differentiate the owner managers between what's the company and what's the personal. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll draw too much cash out of the business, yeah. say leaving it short and yeah. or, or on the flip side, they'll put their own money in to keep it going to pay wages because yeah. they feel obliged yeah. to do so. Yeah. Um so that that kind of thing we, we see quite a lot. And I mean, even simple things like you know, they've got they've they've done jobs for people. They're not ch- they're on the phone chasing payment, yeah. so they're struggling for cash to pay their own suppliers. Yeah. But they've got people who owe them money, and yeah. there's no real controls yeah. in that process. Yeah. Um. And the the main error, and I'm I'm obviously bound to say, it, is just not yeah. reaching out for help sooner. Yeah. You know, I think the the owner managers historically have always thought that you know uh, an insolvency um is a failure, and you know they yeah. don't want to be to, to be labelled with that. Um, but nowadays, and certainly in the current climate, yeah. you know, helps out there. And, yeah. You know, you just need to reach out and give yourself the more options to to move forward. I think that's a great place to start and maybe understand for you to talk through process and for for listeners and business owners to understand it because I agree with that totally. We we have this conversation and and I've said it on the podcast before and I'll say it again, which is the accountant has a benefit because we are engaged with that client. 
and they know they need us to continue to be in business. You know, we have to produce accounts as a minimum, the compliance statutory accounts. But as you say, the, the more engaging clients will use us to help them make better financial decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's accepted. I often find that people reach out to their to a lawyer because most of them don't have a, a lawyer as a small business per se. They reach out for that too late. There's a fear of two things, isn't there? There's a fear that there's a cost that I don't understand. And also, as you say, the you know, an insolvency practitioner almost the you know, the fears in the title. So help us understand process because you know, I know, having been through the process myself and having been with some clients that work with professionals such as yourself, Jimmy, that the engaging the insolvency practitioner is not an absolute result. It doesn't mean that that business is going to be, um, you know, well, you go through the process, but it doesn't mean that business will absolutely be terminated at within yep. so many days because yep. the insolvency practitioner just as another professional provider can help you go well have you gone too far have you not so talk through talk through the process is there just one process there are a number of processes yeah i mean what leads to my sort of engagement or involvement is there's issues and we touched upon you know some of the errors that people make but a lot of the times, it's, you know, out of their control. You know, for example, you're a company there, you're doing a lot of work with one particular client. Yeah. And that client turns around to you and says, right, guys, thanks very much, but I'm going somewhere else now because yeah. they can do it cheaper. Yeah. And you've got all your staff and 70% of your business is in relation to that one contract yeah. or customer. Overnight, your business is, you know, it's crippled. So they, they come to me for all sorts of reasons. You know, they could have their own bad debt where mm. their customer's gone bust and, you know, they've got a hole in their cash flow as a result. Yeah. So there's no blame associated with insolvency. You know, everyone's judged on its own merits. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the processes, the sooner you speak to somebody, the you know, more options that are available. Yeah. Because, obviously, the longer you leave it, the worse the position's going yeah. to get. Um, and in, in terms of the actual, the actual processes, um, I suppose I'll talk through, you know, the, the good to the, the worst-case scenario. Yeah. So, if you've got... I'll use my example about the bad debt there. Yeah. If a company's just got a one-off event that's hit them and, it, you know, it hit the cash flow and caused yeah. an issue, then there's a solution whereby you effectively pass that pain and pressure onto your creditors. So you'd instruct someone like myself to assist with what's called a company voluntary arrangement. Okay. Now, what a company voluntary arrangement is in its simplest form is you prepare a proposal based upon your financial project projections. You send that proposal to the creditors and say, look, I can't pay you. Mm. You explain what's gone on and obviously yep. what's led to the proposal being issued. Present the financials of the company and you're saying that based on my forecast, I can pay you guys... 60p in the pound over yep. five years or whatever yep. the proposal yep. is based yep. up based upon real financial forecast information yep. um and you have to compare that proposal to just we shut down we liquidate and we go and do something else and, and that obviously that proposal has got to generate a greater return to the creditors than a, a winding up of the company yes yes so so that piece of work gets done the creditors then are invited to vote on that proposal and 75% of the voting unsecured creditors yep. have to agree on, on that proposal. Okay. So, so the secure creditors of the company have to agree to it because yep. they're going to yep. go along on the journey yep. with the company and continue to provide facilities, yep. whether it's loans or yep. invoice finance lines yep. or whatever. Um, and the preferential creditors, like HMRC for, yep. for, for the VAT and the employee, employees, national insurance contributions, they have to obviously approve the proposal. Um, and once you've got the, the relevant votes and you've got the, the support you need for it, that proposal becomes binding on creditors right. so whatever was in that proposal yeah. we're going to pay you say a dividend every year yeah. for the next five years yeah. and the total dividend you'll get are 60p in the pound yeah 
as long as that company goes and honors that proposal, then they're all bound yeah. by it. It, right. it gets successfully implemented. And then after the five years, they've had all the money. You file documents to the company house yeah. to say it's been successful yeah. and the company's back to, you know, the company's back as it was. Okay. Now, now on that journey, the company's always remains under control of directors. Yes, yes. Because all the supervisor of the arrangement he's doing yeah. is, is basically getting creditors claims for them, collecting the cash in and distributing funds. But they're just in a bit of a period of limbo where yes. they're subject to a CVA yeah. while they, they honour the agreement effectively. Okay. And so they can accelerate the payments to, to yeah. speed up if they do better than they forecast. Ah, that was going to ask But, that but then, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. just a, you know, a minimum that the, the creditors yes. will accept. Yes. And it gets reviewed every year. If they've done far better than they yeah. said they were going to do, they're going to top up some cash yeah. and the creditors might get more than they agreed yeah. to. Um, so that, that's essentially a CVA, which results in the survival of the company. So... In that instance, then, so a creditor's voluntary arrangement, is that fair to describe that as a protection tool? So what you're saying there is this is where you've engaged an insolvency practitioner. It hasn't, there is a, there is a, let's just use, there's a, there's a hiccup, there's a, although it's serious, so I don't want to, I don't want to downplay it, but there's an issue to be dealt with. It doesn't lose control of that business for the then potentially Shell's directors. And it's not terminal it's just something that says i need this to be dealt with so it's a way of um protecting the company and protecting the creditors through that uh, hiatus period is that fair to say absolutely it's, it's there to provide the company with protection from its creditors so they basically yeah. were binding all the creditors by an agreement which they've all signed up to yeah. and are happy with um so the company voluntary arrangement once they have paid over the contributions yeah. they've agreed to and the creditors have had their distributions if it was a six dependence i keep saying yeah. 60 yeah, it, it, could be, it could be 80 90 yeah. 100 could be anything yeah. whatever the, whatever the cash flows yeah. and the forecast yeah. surely can pay yeah once that has been paid if it is 60 percent or 60 pence in the pound then the remaining 40 yeah. pence in the pound is written off and yeah. it's, it's gone because yeah. because we've gone through that formal process and the company yeah. just carries on trading the creditors have all just took a yeah. hit but they're obviously they're happy because they've agreed yeah. to it and yeah. they, they move on yeah um, so it, yes, it is to relieve the pressure of creditors because yeah. once the arrangement is agreed binding. and, fi- and yeah. binding and it's yeah. filed in court, the creditors are bound by it, so they can't commence any actions for yes. any money. Yes. So say one creditor wasn't happy with the agreement, yes. but everyone else was. Yes, they're going to be miffed because yes. say they're all two thousand pounds, a lot of money to yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, and they're only going to get a thousand pounds back. Yes, there's nothing you can do for the balance because they're all bound by an agreement. Yeah. So it just kills off any you yeah. know, any issues and stops any yeah. legal matters for the old debt. Yeah. Obviously, going forward, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you've it's got fair to, game. Yes, yes. But it's just yeah. it, for the for the creditors bound by the arrangement, yeah. somebody takes that pressure and burden off the company. So, so yeah. like me, would take all those yeah. creditors' claims, yeah. deal with all the creditors, collect, so the company benefits from paying a one-off contribution yeah. to a CVA yeah. rather than firefighting, paying all yeah. suppliers who yes, screams loudest. Exactly. So. They, they pay that affordable monthly payment into the arrangement and then the supervisor yep. distributes it all to creditors yep. and that deals with yep. that side of it. So yep. they're just, it's really just relieves the pressure and yep. lets them concentrate on you know getting on with the job. And in terms of, um, I mean, that, that sounds a very sensible thing for somebody to say to a reason to engage with someone like yourself and understand it. And for anyone listening that says, okay, what does that mean? And, and, and obviously, you know, we're not asking for definites here because it'll yeah. change on size. But talk to me about, the fee structure for something like that is it a professional services fee that you pay or does it is it a charge that goes on you know if it's going to take let's just say it's going to take you know 24 months to pay this off yep. is that something that goes on for 24 months or is there just a is it you know i'm going to use the word setup fee that might not be the right phrase but so people can understand it is it then just a fee that gets paid to create the cva i'll talk through fees on 
every process for you just so you okay, get a, get, yeah, get a, get a, a flavor of you know yeah. what we get paid yeah not so not so yeah. much the number exactly. but how we get paid exactly um and then obviously yeah we'll, we'll, we'll go through it so in a cva yeah um our fees are agreed with the company yeah to help them with the proposal yeah. and seeking a decision of crisis yeah. so that's yeah it's effectively pre-appointment work yes so we have to obviously get an understanding of the business yeah. understand what's gone on Go through yeah. all the the options with them, and the, yeah. once we identify the yeah. CVA is the best best yeah. route, yeah. we'll pull, we'll put together and assist the directors in putting together a formal proposal. Yeah. So we'll do all we'll do all the reporting. Yeah. To be honest with you, they, you know, they'll give me the information. Yeah. We'll plug it all in and, yeah. and make sure the proposal it uh, it fits all the um, all the legal criteria. Legal criteria. Yeah. We're across, because yeah, because yeah, again, I keep mentioning before about being highly regulated. Every report we send out has got to have relevant yes. sections. Yes. Which were you know under the insolvency rules, yes. we were they were obliged to, to present. Yes. yes. So we'd put that proposal together with all those conditions and terms and etc. And then we would seek a decision of creditors. So we'd send yep. the paperwork out. We'd ask them to come to a meeting, whether that's physical or virtual. Just go back on that one, Jimmy. So, you, but so you manage that process. So, it, so if I'm the business owner, and and this is very often in my experience, it's been a problem that is they've just had the head in the sand and they've not dealt with it. So. Is this a thing of saying, do you know what? Do you take that pressure away? Does the bit does the business owner have to make that proposal to creditors, or is that something that, that it, the, it's, it's a, it's a funny one yeah. because it is called a director's proposal to creditors, yes. but in reality, it's what, managed what by that you means guys. is they give me information about the background of the company, yeah. what's gone on. They give me the financials. They, I mean, the key bit to a to a, a voluntary arrangement is the accounts and the forecasts. Yes. And, I, and you know, I've worked with Map on previous yeah. assignments on yeah. that, and yeah. we put together robust financial forecasts. Yeah over the life of the CBA yeah. to demonstrate to the creditors that this company, you know, can make the money it's, it's pledging. And the, yeah. the the assumptions in the forecast are based on sound, you know, principles and it can be, be supportive and I've reviewed evidence to, you know, to give me confidence that yes. the proposal is not only um, not only going to be approved by the creditors because yeah. it's better than a worst case yes. scenario, yes. it's also got a significant chance of being successfully yes. implemented it's for it you know again we talk to i'm trying to get to one of our finance partners um david hopefully to come and do a, a a podcast episode literally about budgets and forecasts because i do think that the use of forecast and the tool of a forecast is underutilized very often in this in in, in lots of things to help you make decisions I mean, on a cva it's, yeah. it's crucial because it yeah. underpins the proposal yeah. but i think a long-winded yeah. long-winded answer yeah. we were yeah. talking about costs yeah. of that process yeah. Yeah. so yeah. so initially the director would reach out and say right actually i like the idea of a cva yeah. it sounds attractive i can yeah. i can keep my business yeah. everything can remain as it is yeah the company can, can, can be rescued as a going concern um i like it i want to i want to yeah. explore it and pursue it yeah now the company Needs to pay the costs of yeah. my yeah. my work and my yeah. skills to yeah. to do that proposal. So yeah. we'd get paid a, a fee by the company for yeah. doing that report yeah. and seeking a decision of creditors. Yes, and then the creditors have to make Agreed. sure they're happy with that yeah. fee. If, the, if it's if it's still outstanding at the date of the actual um, implementation yeah. of the proposal, yeah. and it's and it's going to get paid out the, the kitty of creditors, yeah. Yeah. they will agree to it. If the company's got money. Up front, yeah. we can just pay it, then that's fine. We just have to disclose that yes, we've, you know, we've, we've had that. Yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yes, and yeah. then once we are appointed supervisors, yeah. assuming they've agreed the proposal, yeah. my role changes from nominee who's put yeah. the report together yeah. and reported to the court yeah. that you know he believes in it to supervisor the arrangement. So yeah. I would have a structure in the proposal yes. to say to creditors like my proposed remuneration yes. would be a certain amount each year 
So yes. when I when I get the cash in at yes. the end of the year, yes, I'll distribute whatever I'm, in, I'm yeah. supposed to distribute yeah. some, and I'll reserve fund uh, some to cover my costs yeah. of of collecting the cash in, yes. reporting to creditors, and distributing the funds. So, but, let, so it's all agreed with the creditors. Yeah. So let so in terms of the language that um, lots of our listeners, the agencies, will understand is you're effectively acting as a project manager. Then so there's an agreement made. There's I'm going to use language that our listeners will understand. There's a statement of work. So the proposal of the statement of works. It says this is the position. This is our proposed remedy. This is how long it's going to take. There's a vote on that. You're saying, and and the trigger is um, 75% of of creditors uh, agree to it. Uh, it doesn't have to be everybody. And once that's bound, it happens. But then the 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 management of that is done by yourself. So I can see again a reason why. As you were talking before about the sort of approval of creditors, I'm sitting there going, you know, why would a creditor agree? Why would a creditor um, oppose it? Yep. I suppose it's a classic thing of, well, uh, you know, somebody somebody else's, as you say, making the promise, not maybe the director who's gone for the last three months, yes, you know, I'm going to be all right to pay you next month. There's been a bit more, I, use, I like to use the word rigour, so there's a lot more rigour on the process, the forecast. But also from the creditor's point of view, there's a legal professional then managing that money. It's not, yes, I've accepted this CVA with, um, you know, Stuart Brown Enterprises, and then it's Stuart Brown deciding whether he's paying that money at the end of the year. Yep. So it's that 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 secure. I know it's not security in the phrase of because the money's still got to be there, but but the the process is governed and managed by you as a regulated professional. Yeah, and a step before that would be that when they're asked to consider a proposal. It's what's their alternative. You know, yep. the report will show if you, if we don't agree it, then unfortunately we're mm. lost and we're going out of business, mm. and we're either going to sell the good bits off and yep. distribute the cash to everyone, yep. or we're going to shut down yep. entirely, and you're yep. going to get what you get. Yep. So it's a, it's a financial decision in yep. terms of we stick with it and we get paid. Yep. And an additional financial consideration yep. would be if we, if the company does get a CVA approved yep. and it survives, then we've got an ongoing customer for years. Yeah, exactly. so, so that kind of yep. decision. Yep. So the CVA exists. One thing I've um, not understood is you know when i've been around where the rules used to be um you know in administration and we're talking may um, back in the day before even you know websites etc was you know your letterhead had to say Stuart brown enterprise limited brackets in administration where does the where does a cva sit i'm assuming you're saying it could be searched in company's house but what's the We'll talk later about whether the concept of tabooing still exists, but is does it does it have to be something on the letterhead, on the website, on an email signature? How how private, if that's the right word, is a CVA, and how open and public is it? In terms of publicity, it does go on company's house. Yeah, it'll get noted as an insolvency event on company's house, yep. and it will just show that the company status is in a, uh, a voluntary arrangement. Yep. And obviously yeah. that will be removed the, the minute it's successfully yeah. implemented. Yeah. If, if it's not successfully implemented, yeah. then obviously the company's going to go yeah. through a secondary process, yeah. which we'll come on to. Let me just jump on there just again for, for listeners that aren't used to this and think this, there does seem to be a fear very often that companies' houses is a very public thing. And I think people think that everyone goes looking for their friends and family on there, which is, isn't true. But what you're saying there is that's an event which would be no different. People don't realise that charges, you know, loans, mortgages, charges, debentures, they're on there, aren't they, as an outstanding um, charge for that business. So that's a very normal process, isn't it? It's not just yep. because it, the CVA just happens to be one of those one of those tools, but it's not. this is not a process that's been made just for CVA, is it? 
No, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, it, it, people have to, have to go looking at companies' yeah. hours to try and find it. Yeah. Um, it's not something... I mean, a CVA, you, we yeah. don't advertise the fact yeah. there's a CVA. There's nothing yeah. goes in the Gazette, for example, yeah. to say, oh, yeah. this company's going to a voluntary... Yeah. It's, it's just done with creditors, yeah. with their agreement, yeah. and if it's implemented, great, yeah. we crack on yeah. with it. Now, in terms of company, I do remember when the letterheads, we used to yeah. have to put the, when we traded a job yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you... I think the the new company going forward, I don't think there's any responsibility to do yeah. that. Obviously, the creditors will be aware of it yeah. because they're yeah. obviously bound by it. Yeah. And I suppose any new creditor, if they're getting asked to yeah. provide credit, would have to do their own checks on them. So maybe yeah. they would check yes. company's house and yes. see that and ask yes. the question. Yes. But for every job, yeah. there's a reason why we're in a pickle. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's, it might be quite easy to explain to a creditor, look, yeah, we had a big hole in the accounts because yeah. of a fraud or yeah. because of a bad debt. Yeah. And you know, nothing to um, affect the viability of our business. Yeah. There's no reason not to supply us, and yeah. you know, they're happy with that. Yeah. I was, I, this sounds this sounds maybe counterintuitive to some people, but as the direct, you've shown that you've acted seriously, and you've shown that you've done something about it, and you've shown that you're serious about it. There'll be people who will believe that having that. You know, as a, as a as a, I'm going to use the phrase as a charge, as a as a lee on on company's house, but that also shows to people that yeah, but we're not because you and I both know most most of the things. We'll talk about some of the process in a second because actually the day to day problems and the day to day things that will probably lead to most insolvencies, you're never going to find in company's house. So t- t- talk about the process. So CVA is there. So we've said, look, CVA is a protection tool. Understand it, understand it, so you know that if you ever need it, this is where you come and find somebody like Jimmy or somebody else. So, okay, interesting. And and, and these are relative. When I say new, relatively new. As I say, you and I have been around this block long enough to know that it tended to be, you know, administ- administration, as we said, on a letterhead, and 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 you know, voluntary arrangements, personal and and, and company voluntary arrangements are are more of a thing now. So, you know, what we're saying here is don't ignore them. They could be a protection tool and they might be useful. The one thing I say to everyone is it's not a silver bullet and there may be things that you also need to consider. So help our listeners understand what else they need to consider in that process, Jimmy, either what's the downsides or potential impacts. I suppose the proposal when it gets issued, it's not just a that's it, take it or leave it. It's a bit of a horse trade. So the credit, some creditors might say, well, I don't like that bit. There's any yeah. chance of some more on this year or yeah. what are you doing about yeah. that or why can't yeah. you sell that asset and generate more cash, whatever it is. So that, that all gets factored in and the CVA proposal can be modified and yeah. varied. Negotiated. Negotiated yeah. to, to support, you know, to get the ultimate agreement. So we might end up paying a bit more yeah. because we're going to sell something at a certain yeah. point of time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The main one would be HMRC. Yeah. Um, they insist on standard modifications to proposal okay that means what for the the uninitiated the the ones that jump out on me would be they would not consider a cva if there were outstanding directors loans yeah because they'd say you've had the money yeah it back yeah that needs to go into the pot and if you pay it back and it goes into the arrangement they agree it yeah they'll they'll also get the directors to um stick with the levels of remuneration they put in their forecast yes so they'll just they'll cap the salaries for the five-year yes. duration or three-year yes. duration whatever it is yes so so you get you have you know there's a bit of pain to be experienced yes. but you know the more pain you show yes then the more chances the creditors will sympathize yes. with you and, and you know yes. and, and agree with your proposal um other ones for hmrc there'll be stuff like there'd be no dividends for five years it's yes. you want you're on the payroll yes. and you're paying your taxes on the due yes. date that kind of stuff yes. so there are there are some issues like that to yeah. consider just about getting approval then yes. obviously how it's going to affect your post agreement and I, I suppose trading wise on the cva with the with the uh, creditors you're going to go to these people and say 
right, I need some more goods now. Yeah. Or some more services. Yeah. And they're going to say, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. I've just lost money. Yeah. So you might get people say, I don't want to work with you anymore because yeah. of that. Yeah. Or you might have to give a price increase to yeah. soften the blow. Yeah. It, yeah. Again, it's all, that's yeah. all commercial decisions the directors yeah. are, you know, are free to yeah. do because they are the, still in stewardship of the company. Yeah going forward yeah. the insurance practitioners don't get involved in any of that okay. all he deals with is the creditors that are left behind and the yeah. cash that's coming in in a CVA it's entirely under the stewardship of the okay. directors as normal and I said a minute ago there that these are relatively new in you know if we, if we looked at sort of where they would sit in the history of the companies act and all that lot in terms of and I know you're going to go on to some of the other processes in a minute how popular would you say CVAs are are they on the increase? Are they on the way? And were they a, were they a fad that's on the way out? Or um, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Since HMRC recovered their preferential creditor statement, yeah. I've seen a reduction in them. Okay, because it used to be that everyone was unsecured creditors. Yes, excluding the bank, for example. Yeah, yes, it, yes. Everyone was unsecured creditors. They all had a pound for pound vote, and yeah. HMRC were the effectively the deciding vote. And yes. you know, as long yes. as you, you you crammed in their conditions they wanted. Yes. And they were happy with it. They'd, yeah. they'd give you a chance of going through it. I think now that they're preferential creditors, yeah. that the, the knock-on effect to the unsecured creditors is yes. they're is getting the lion's share of the cash. Yes. So it makes it more difficult yeah. for the unsecured creditors to accept it because they're getting less. So yeah. I have seen them reduce. Yeah. And I think the numbers that came out recently, which you referred to, in some is at record yeah. year, uh, record high. I think yeah. the last. I think I'm sure it's the last six months. Yeah. Um, in fact, the last last quarter, there's about six thousand insolvencies, and I think. Yeah. 5,000 of them were liquidations, yeah. which we'll come on to. Yeah. There's about 700, about 500 administrations, yeah. a few compulsory wind up orders, yeah. and there was 41 CVAs yeah, in okay. that, so, out of 6,200 yes, and something yes. businesses. Yeah. So that, that give you a flavour for yeah. how common they are and how yeah. popular they are. But they are ultimately yeah. the, you know, a rescue tool yeah. which, which achieves the top purpose of rescuing the company's yes. going concern. And I, and I suppose some of those CVAs um, will be coming out of an administration in some some occasions yes. yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. the administrator's gone in and pressed yeah. pause yeah. and he's managed to come up with some you know, yes. investment or a yeah. solution yes. and we'll come on to it. It's just an exit yeah. route for administration yes. to, to you know to, to survive yeah. to yeah. let the company survive. Yeah. Let's let's just go back on a couple of things you said there. So uh, uh, because um so anybody listening's um, very often we're all guilty of talking about things that we recognise. So we've said there two things: secured and preferential. So let's just be clear on so a, what what a secured creditor is and what a preferential creditor is. Okay, so a secured creditor is somebody who's got a charge registered at company's house. So the the usual secured creditors would be banks for yeah. loans and overdrafts, yeah. invoice finance companies for yeah. the facilities they provide. Yeah. Or just any any charge or anyone yes. who's, anyone who's lent money yeah. secured with a charge yeah. on company's house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in insolvency, there's a there's a, a prior yeah. a, an order of priority for yeah. payments. Okay. So the fixed charge holders will get yeah. paid first. Yeah. So if we're selling any property, houses, yeah. anything like that, yeah. or, or even goodwill yeah. of a business, it falls on the fixed charge. They get paid the, yeah. the first share of it, and then we pay the preferential creditors yeah. second. Now the preferential creditors for years. Um, were just employee claims for arrears of wages and holiday. Yeah. So in an insolvency, if there's yeah. employees made, made yeah. redundant, yeah. they would have claims for all their, you know, paying lower notice, redundancy yeah. pay, expenses, their yeah. their unsecured claims. Yeah. They'd have claims for the wages and holidays, which yeah. would be preferential. Yeah. So they would get paid next. Yeah. And they are now the first ranking preferential creditor yeah. because HMRC, yeah. uh, I think, what was it, December 21, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. they recovered their preferential status. Yeah. The crown came in. Yeah, so, so, they, so they basically said, we don't like being unsecured creditors yeah. anymore. Yeah. We want, and, and to be fair, it was, yeah. it was some of their debt yeah. stepped up to preferential, yeah. and it, it's called a secondary preferential claim yeah. now, behind those employees. Yeah. 
um, and that covers VAT yeah. and employees' national insurance contributions yes. that are yes. deducted, not paid over. Yes. So that element of the debt sits, yes. you know, yeah. that's a preferential payment. Yes. And then if there is, this is where it gets a bit tricky, yeah. if there's a floating charge, yes. so somebody's got a charge just against the company, which, yeah. you know, it covers, you know, cash and yeah. asset sales and stuff like that. For, again, so for most of our clients, they might not recognise that, but that is very, very pre- prevalent if you've got a lease. The landlord very often will have a floating charge on the assets of the business because the lease is there as liability. Because, you know, many years ago, leases very often had to be secured. But So floating charges I see a lot where someone has an office lease. Yeah, so so we'd realise all the assets. Yeah. Essentially, an insolvent practitioner's job is to turn assets into cash yeah. and distribute the funds. So, yeah. so we'd realise assets. So using my example before, if we had a property where there's a yeah. specific charge on the title, yeah. that's a fixed charge yeah. asset. That goes to the fixed charge yeah. creditor. The, the rest of the, the assets we realise, yeah. they're all floated charge assets, yeah. say. Yeah. So we've got, for example, excluding an invoice finance facility, yeah. which might have a specific yeah, charge yeah, on it yeah. as well. They own yeah. the debts, they're yeah. not mine. Yeah. But any surplus cash that comes in from yeah. any of the debtors or yeah. cash in the bank yeah. or stock sales or anything we can sell, desk table chairs, yeah. that would be all classed as floated charge yeah. assets if yeah. there's a floating charge. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, we'd then look to, after we paid the preferential creditors, we'd look to make a distribution to the floating charge holder yeah. before the unsecured creditors. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and again, at some point in time, the the legislation changed in terms of rather than just do that and give the charge holder all that money, you need to set some aside for the unsecured creditors. Yes. So it's a bit of a complex, like yes. sort of tricky calculation. Yeah. You, you have to carve something out called yeah. the prescribed part fund, yeah. which basically gets set aside, yeah. and the unsecured creditors get a small amount. That's in that's in a situation where all the cash is going to get distributed yes. to the floating charge, yes. and there's nothing left for them. Yes. If that charge all gets paid in full, yes, and there is a, a genuine surplus to the unsecured creditors, they would just share in that equally yeah. as normal. But it's a way there. I would I would assume in the same way that so you know maybe when CVAs were more popular, HMRC have said, well, hang on a minute, we want our bit the cherry, and there's there's a there's a fairness that says, you know what, if if the if the staff are going to get paid, then there's a there's a fairness that says the NIC and those things should be paid. And what you're saying here is there's almost some there's some there's been some change to the process that almost says, do you know what, you know what we used to for you know, the big boys can't get everything. There has to be you know obviously you, can, you know you can't share nothing. There has to be something. What you're saying is the process now considers everybody. But again, if you're at the bottom of the list, the unsecured creditors are going to have less chance. Yeah, that so, was the last to get yeah. paid. Yeah. So the secured. There's preferential, and then there's what's the lead? Is it standard? So, so, so the secured, un- the secured fixed. Yeah. There's fixed yeah. secured, yeah. preferential, yeah. floating charge secured, yeah. Yeah. and the unsecured creditors. Yeah. Yeah. So the unsecured creditors on board are at the bottom of the pile. Okay, yeah. all right. So, so talk me through then. So, in terms of, so if if we said you, you said there, if we looked at some more recent um, stats, so the most um, popular is the wrong phrase here because nobody wants to be in this position and, I, and I'm sure you're one of those people Jimmy where people sit with you and go thank you so much for your help and I hope I never see you again so I'm sure people thank you for what they do but they, they um, sometimes wish they'd um, not got you know got themselves that position But so the word popular is not right but what's the most maybe the most common outcome then so you, when you said through those sort of 6,000 was it do you say liquidation was the most common talk through the other processes yeah, and, uh, or the other outcomes let's say yeah, what, what, so, so I'll, I'll run it in terms of rather than go through the the numbers yeah, and talk yeah, about what's popular and yeah. what's not I mean the, 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 I go from the good to bad so the yeah. CV, CVA is the best 
best yeah. result for the yeah. company because yeah. it ensures a survival. I suppose the next best one would be an administration. Yeah. Now, to, to give you the numbers on that, I think of the 6,200, yeah. there was about 460 yeah. administrations in the yeah. last quarter. Yeah. Now, an administrator um, must achieve a specific purpose. Right. So that would, there's, there's three purposes we need to yeah. achieve in order of priority. So number one would be to rescue the company as a going concern. Yeah. So that links nicely with the CVAs, whereby we trade the administration for a period, we yeah. find an investor and a buyer, yeah. and we'd be able to get enough cash in the yeah. kitty yeah. for the creditors to consider yeah. a voluntary arrangement to then exit yeah. administration and yeah. hand it back. Yeah. So that's the, 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 that's the best solution yeah. in administration. Now, the second one would be to achieve a better result for creditors as a whole yeah. than winding up the company. Yes. Okay, so by what we're doing, yeah. we've, we've achieved a better result yeah. than if we'd have shut it down day yeah. one. Yeah, and, and and what could those be? Is that is that continuing to trade? Is that a trade sale? What what outcomes exist to get a better outcome for creditors in that scenario? Uh, continue to trade yeah. um, to find like investment or a sale, yeah. 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 Or, or the most common route of administration we do is we'd, we'd file a notice of intention at court, which creates a moratorium. Yeah. Now, the moratorium stops creditors taking action against the company. Yeah. So it gives it that breathing space again yeah. while all options can be considered yes. and, and we can come up with a strategy. And can again, just sorry cutting across you again for listeners, this is what maybe we often hear now because you know a lot of the media today, particularly social media, is driven from the states. This is what lots of people, it's not the same, but it's what people hear when people talk about Chapter 11 in, in the states, that's a, a moratorium, that's a protection um, state that people can go into. So what you're saying here administration can give that moratorium, can give that absolutely uh, pause, I think absolutely. you used the phrase Cause, earlier. Because what we'd have, we, you'd probably get a company where it's got you know significant assets and employees and you know yeah. works, orders in the pipeline yeah. and work's ongoing, yeah. but it's just got, you know, it's crippled with debt and it's got yeah. too much, yeah. you know, it can't pay its debts as only yeah. due, it's got creditors threatening yeah. to wind Cash up. Cash flow usually. Yeah, yeah. It, needs, it needs some of that breathing space. Yeah. And the moratorium creates exactly that. Yeah. So you file a note of intention at court, you get 10 business days moratorium yeah. where no one can, can commence yeah. or continue yeah. an illegal action against you. Okay. And that's when the insolvency practitioner has to come up with the solutions and yes. stuff. And, yes. the, and what, what I tend to do, or what's the most common in yeah. that scenario, is we would use that 10 days to get a valuation yeah. and market the business and assets yeah. for sale. Yeah. So we've identified the company insolvent. Yeah. You know, he's, he's got far more debts than he's got assets. Yeah. Um, What's the best possible price yeah. we can achieve for this yeah. in the in the in the marketplace? Yeah. Let's market it. Let's go out there yeah. and try and find a buyer. Yeah. And then we 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 liaise with interested parties, we yeah. provide information. Yeah. It's it's difficult because we've got quite a short window of opportunity yes. to, yeah. to negotiate and sell. Yeah. But but most of the time we don't have the luxury of yeah. you know a million pound cash at bank to pay yeah. wages next yeah. week. It's all yeah. critical. Yeah. It needs doing now. Yeah. Yeah. We need someone to come in who's going to buy the assets and who's going to pay the wages and take them forward. Yeah. So so that bit would be an accelerated marketing process. Yeah. If we find a buyer, we get the agent's yeah. opinion and yeah. recommendation on the yeah. offer, and then we negotiate the contracts. Yeah. And the contracts all gets done and negotiated in that window of moratorium. Yeah. yeah. So then, once that's all agreed on yeah. both sides, yeah, we can then file a notice of appointment of administrator at yeah. court. So I then become the administrator of the yeah. company. Yeah. And immediately, immediately upon my appointment of administrator, I will execute that contract and sell the business assets. Yeah. So I've negotiated it all previously. Yes. And I've sold it. Yes. And that's what's known as a prepackaged administration. Yes. So you've heard the term prepack, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I've done one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is that's great because it you know yeah. it avoids any additional costs of having to yeah. trade the company yeah. and find a buyer. It's all done in that window of moratorium. Yeah. 
but then there's a lot of regulation yeah. from my point of view to yeah. explain to creditors yeah. why it's a prepack, what's yes. going on, yes. you know, and, and you track back and yeah. explain exactly what yeah. steps you've taken and there's big disclosures we have yeah. to do and stuff like that. So that, you know, that that's yeah. the administration. So fascinating. What you're saying there is there is a window of opportunity, this 10-day piece. Very often, I think people need to understand that from both sides of the fence. I have seen and I've heard... I've seen for myself and I've heard with the clients where, you know, a insolvency practitioner approaches, let's just use our business. So an agency is currently in administration and the administrator is looking to sell, um, you know, the assets. And in this particular industry, sometimes the asset might be the website because it's got SEO on it or it's got whatever. And an agency um, will, uh, another agency is looking to buy it but they think that their negotiating tactic is to play it cool. They think, oh, we'll just sit and wait. I don't think enough potential buyers who who have an ambition and the wherewithal and could be a, a great new owner for that business or just the asset realise that you've only got that timescale. There's one that you know I'm aware of happening right at the minute where someone said, "I'm what's your, you know I'm looking at this opportunity," and. When I say to them, look, don't hesitate. If you're interested, don't hesitate. They think that in some way I've got a, you know, I've got a commercial bias or an interest. But it, it can, they can, you can lose that then, can't you? So if you're interested, you've got to act in that ten days to buy it. Is what you're saying as well? You have, and I, I suppose what frustrates potential interested parties is a lack of information available for them to make yes. a decision in a time yes. frame. And you know, we can only work off the information we've got in that yes. period. You know, it's never going to be perfect. There's yeah. always a risk element yes. in someone jumping into yeah. someone else's business to buy yeah. it, which is why we do yeah. see, you know, 90% of the businesses being sold back to connected parties yes. because they are, A, they know the business and yeah. they have the relationships yeah. and they are yeah. the business in some yes. respects. So it's impossible to sell it elsewhere yes. in reality. Yeah. Um, they are happy to transact quickly. Yes. And, you know... Because the, they the, know what they know. Because they know what they're buying. Yeah. And ultimately, they'll pay the best price yeah. in the circumstances, yeah. which is obviously what the agent, the yeah. valuer, yeah. would have to, to you know, to yeah. to give his opinion on. Yeah. And a question there, so because you've said best price a couple of times, is it the best price? Is it like you know, sealed bids? It's the biggest number of pound notes, or is there a thing that says sometimes you know the best value? So if somebody said a connected party says, you know, this instance has happened, let's use the one we spoke about. So. Big project, I've overgeared up and resources, my cash flow's gone, I've got this problem, um, I've gone into administration, but you know, I know and, and I let's just say, you know, I'm gonna carry on with half the staff and I can do this. Does that get is that looked at as a positive outcome? If somebody said, you know what, I'm gonna come in and I'll pay you, but I'm just going I, I I've known I've known it happened in the past where someone's bought the business just to shut it down because it was a competitor. In other words, they wanted okay. they wanted the brand, they wanted to control the brand. They didn't want anyone else yep. to do the resurrection. Is it always just whoever pays the top dollar, or is there are there other value considerations that you know you can look at? I suppose it all comes down to it's got to represent the the best outcome for creditors as yes. a whole. Yes. So the only the only the only um, 
the, the only scenario I can think of where it might be different from someone paying the most money yeah. would be, say, if someone said, well, I'm not taking the employees with me. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, I just want the assets, and, yeah. that, and then yeah. they, they can whistle for it. Yeah. But you've got somebody else who's paying slightly less, but you yeah. said, I'll take every employee, that, yeah, I'll, pay, yeah, I'll honor yeah. all the wages, yeah. they won't have to claim off the government. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're reducing claims in that yeah. process. Yeah. So the outcome for creditors is yeah. better because there's less creditors to share the yes, pot. So yes, I, you'd yes. have to run the numbers. Yes, and, do it, and I'm but... gonna, you know, I'll carry on in that office potentially. Well, that's it. Yeah, landlords. And I, yeah, as well, yeah, and 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 even also, and do, do any do in the industry we represent? Do the client, do the end users get any? So if somebody said, look, um, you know, let's let's just let's just use where we sat today. You know, there's a two year project with the BBC, and that supplier has gone into a problem. If somebody comes along to say, "Okay, I'm interested in taking some of that staff," and I forget the premises, but you know, I can then guarantee that I'm delivering these projects for clients. Does that ever get, or is that is that is that nothing because it's only about the creditors to carve it up? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to in terms of the. You know the the I'm trying to think of the phrase. You know, very often with tenders, it's the best value. It's not the be- the highest price. Yep. Is there something that says, well, ha- I, I appreciate your responsibilities to the creditors, but if somebody came along and said, but I can carry on trading that business, but and I can continue using the same suppliers and the staff, and I can keep these. You know, I can keep. Let's just say, I can keep eight of the twelve clients happy and paying continue to pay money. Does that ever get done? Or is it only ever the creditor side? Uh, well, they, they go hand in hand. I think because if somebody yeah. wants something for you, yeah. then it's worth something to them. Yeah, and it's got a value, yeah. and yeah. a value yeah. will have advised on that. Yeah. And if someone makes an offer for a part of a yeah. business, yeah. then that will get judged on its own merits. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, that that sale of part of the business yeah. or a few contracts transfer some liability with yeah. it in terms of employees yeah. and office space etc yeah. then certainly that's something that yeah. you know, sh- you know yeah. there's no reason why it shouldn't be done yeah because it because it because it does produce the best return for the credit yeah rather yeah. than shutting down and doing nothing yeah go back on something you said there again and, and just make explain this process you said there the valuer so again i think there's a misconception that people think they can you know in the same way people say to us do you know a good corporate lawyer people say oh do you know a good insolvency practitioner and what they mean by that is have you got a friendly insolvency practitioner who will help me get what i want that's that's the belief often to the business owner talk there about the process of valuation then so when you say the valuer where does the valuer come in and where does the valuation come in because my understanding is it's not your decision valuation and again it comes down yeah. to that, that we are a highly regulated profession yeah. so we've got assets on any job we have to get an independent valuation from yeah. you know a credible yeah. chartered surveyor yeah so we we use um yeah. a couple of firms to do yeah. that and they go out there and they they'll look yeah. through the assets and review yeah. the business and, and come up with a valuation and yeah. that's what underpins my decision making yes so i need to be able to fall back on that if I've sold something, yes. I've got the right advice and yes. I can support it and yes. stand by it. Yes. If I didn't have that valuation, I yeah. just said, oh, yeah, I'll sell it to you for yeah. X amount. Stops a sweet deal happening, doesn't a creditor, it? A wrong yeah, deal. of course. Yeah. Yeah. A creditor can't then come out the woodwork and say, it's a stitch up and I'm not happy and I'm going to take yeah. action because it's been valued. There's a, there's a professional opinion on the file and, and that's it. Yeah. And it helps the directors as well. if they, if, you know, Because a lot of times, if we sell to directors, it comes with territory, the creditors are immediately suspicious yes of course they wouldn't be he's yeah. a stitch up he's dropped yeah. everyone he's, took yeah. it, he's still doing yeah. the same thing yeah. which again is why we have to report the facts of what's happened yeah. and why he's the best show in town and why yeah. he should be sold to yes. him so again without evaluation you're snookered yeah. and for the director then he's yeah. there to be shot at yeah. when the insolvency service are getting complaints yeah. about the conduct yes. they're saying well why did you sell the business to yourself yeah. for X amount yeah. and if he hasn't got valuation 
Yeah. How can he stand by that? Yeah. You know, is it, it doesn't stack up. Yeah. It, it, it offers protection to me yeah. as a seller and to yeah. the, the party yeah. purchasing. Following on from administration, um, the next process, and when you touched on before, what's the most popular, um, is a voluntary liquidation. So that's when the company is basically, the directors can't pay the wages yeah. and the, the, the customers are not there. There's no orders coming through. Yeah. It's knackered. And they've just decided to close the door, yeah. shut it down. It's a terminal yeah. insolvency event. Yeah. The company's come to the end of its life. All the staff are made redundant. The liquidator would sell all the assets yeah. off, get as much cash in as possible, and distribute the, yeah. the cash to creditors. Yeah. And then all the, all the staff are made redundant, and they move on. Talk. This I've come across two instances there, and you tell me it's the same thing. So, and you might say, well, that's a wind up rather than a liquidation. So, somebody comes along and says, do you know what? I've had this business for 20 years. You know, there was a, a you know a well-documented instance in Manchester of a well-respected agency, ran well. After, you know, 20 years, the directors involved just said, you know what, we've lost our passion. We don't really do, and, you know, they told all the staff, they gave the right and adequate notice, and they did what I would call as a solvent. Why don't they just literally shut the doors but didn't then, you know... Uh, uh, you know, they paid every, everyone off, if that's the right phrase. Is that a liquidation or is that a solvent wind-up? So you've got, you've got a creditor's voluntary yep. liquidation, yep. which obviously creditors in the title, yep. that's one where yep. there's, there's creditors and they, they lose out. Yep. Yep. So the, the, the reason for doing that would be, like I said, the company's come to their life, the directors can't do it anymore, they trade yep. illegally because they're yep. losing money, yep. and they want to pass it on to a liquidator yep. to wind up the company's affairs, yep. get it struck off the company's house. Yep. But most of the time, the most the priority for them is they've got employees who are going to get made redundant, yep. They can only get claims against the government yeah. if that company's gone into a formal insolvency event. Okay, okay, yeah. So then, yeah. So then that will be a trigger yeah. for the doubt to say, actually, I need yeah. to get this this yeah. into liquidation to get yes. these guys some claims yeah. processed and yeah. they'll soften the blow for them. Yes. So they would enter into a redundancy payment scheme. They'd have claims based on what they're due uh, on their employment contracts, the length of service, etc. And the redundancy payment scheme would pay out the yeah. money in due course and they would have a subrogated claim against the liquidator for what they've paid out. Yeah. Okay. Now, the, what you touched upon um, is a solvent liquidation yeah. whereby they've just wound down themselves, they've got yeah. enough cash and you know, yeah. no creditors are, are, yeah. are, are out of pocket yeah. and they've distributed the cash yeah. to themselves. Yeah. They would have to go through what's called a member's voluntary liquidation. Okay. And the benefit of that for the, the shareholders, directors, yeah. is rather than just taking the cash out and striking yeah. it off, yeah. If you go through a legal members' voluntary liquidation yeah. process, yeah. once all the credits have been paid and the cash yeah. is there for shareholders, you the, the liquidator out. distributes it as a capital distribution ah, okay. rather than you know income payments. Oh, okay. So that's, that's, so that's, that's why they go that's down that route. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's the liquidation. So, but I want to just cover something there you just said because I have had conversations with people and you know, we can see through looking at the numbers and whether it's, you know, currently trading at a loss or, you know, um, risk of trading at a loss, looking at a forecast or the worst case scenario, trading at a loss and the forecast has fallen off the edge of a cliff. And the the business owner, the entrepreneur is, is doing, in their mind, the right thing. I'm carrying on, I'm fighting hard, I'm, I'm trying to keep everyone employed. And when I say to people, but actually the best protection for your staff could be this because you've said there about their rights for liquidation just cover that bit slightly so a reason why i believe that a credible reason for a business owner to go down this route is actually to do the right thing by all their employees is that a yeah. fair point absolutely and i've, I've seen on the, on the flip side of it i've seen directors who just sh shut the doors and lay everyone off say i'm not going to pay yeah. you I'm, that's it we're done 
doesn't actually do anything with the company, the limited yeah. entity. Yeah. These guys have got no nowhere to go with their yeah. claims. They've yeah. got nobody to to you know to pay them their their redundancy because yeah. there's no insolvency of them. Yeah. And the director of them ones just let them lapse and let yeah. somebody you know down the line months yeah. later yeah. wind them up for the debts that yeah. are unpaid. Yeah. And it's not fair on the employees because yeah. they had to wait for you know yeah. by the time they get the money out of that process, yeah. it's probably four six yeah. months down the line. Yeah. So it does you know the the, the directors who take the proactive steps yeah. voluntarily yeah. admit what's gone on, yeah. just say look this is why I'm failing because yeah. our report goes to creditors beforehand yeah, yeah. to say yeah, exactly yeah. why we shut down, what yeah. the position is, and what we're doing about it. Yeah. They have the opportunity in that voluntary scenario. To write to credit and say, look, guys, I'm sorry. This is why I've ceased trading. Yeah. They had these issues. Yeah. This is what you're going to get out of the process. Yeah. You know, it might be nothing. It might be something. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, the, the employees get looked yeah. after. Explain yeah. that though. When you say get looked after, because you know, I, I, well, explain the process, and then I'll I'll cover why so many clients don't believe me because they'll say. But I haven't got the cash to pay everyone. Yeah. So in this instance, it's not the company yeah. necessarily so, paying that. So when I say looked after, yeah. the, the first thing is we, yeah. as insolvency practitioners, then give them guidance and assistance on yeah. how to submit claims to yeah. the government. Yeah, because that's the point uh, I'm yeah. trying to get so, you to explain. Yeah, so, the so, government are stepping in here. So the government, it's not the business owner. Paying no, no, no. Yeah. So, so no one gets paid because there's no yeah. money to pay them because yeah. we're bust. Yeah. So they all just say, well, who's paying my wages? Who's paying yeah. my holiday pay? Yeah. I'm in charge of redundancy or yeah. notice pay yeah. or whatever. We would collate all that information. And we'd ask the employees yeah. to provide us with their claims. Yeah. With their, we'd guide them for yeah. how to fill the forms, etc. Yeah. And then we'd submit the company records yeah. and the employee claims yeah. to the government and say, look, this company went into liquidation, say, on whatever, whatever date. date. Yeah. And they would obviously have, be aware of that liquidation and they would give it a case reference and they yeah. would then enter those employees into their scheme for payments. Yeah. So obviously they're massively busy at the minute. Yeah. But that company would eventually have the employees' claims yes. processed and yes. paid out by the government. Yes. So the government would write to, would send the money to them directly, yep. and then the government would say to me, right, Jimmy, um, I've paid out X amount to these employees. Yep. Here's a breakdown of the payments. Yep. I want to rank for preferential creditor status yep. for wages yep. and holiday pay, yep. and I'll be unsecured for the rest. Yeah. But I just think that's a really important thing for people to, to learn, because as I say, you know, the purpose of this Difficult Truths episode is not to say, you know, this we hope you get here but if you get there understand what's available and i know so many people who procrastinate on this decision because and, and they're doing it for the right reasons they're just doing it ill-informed so they're sitting there saying but it might get better and we might get this contract and we might do this or do you know what i might cut some costs um but they think that you know that, that, that if there's there's not enough money to and i've seen people look at you know and we would, as you know, Matt, we would help them understand what are the redundancy implications, what are the costs if you went down this road. But and I've seen people hesitate because they say, "Well, I haven't got that money anyway," not realizing that actually, by them, you know, engaging with somebody like yourself early, getting it done, actually probably gives their staff not a but the best outcome they can get. And I do think that's misunderstood by too many business owners and directors. Yeah. And the only other process we've not touched on is the compulsory liquidation yeah. where they get wound up by creditor. Yeah. And that, like I said before, the employees in that one is left in lurch yeah. until that wind-up yeah. order gets yeah. made. And then, yeah. you know, it just yeah. it doesn't sit yeah. right with me. They should yeah. be, if there's employees being made redundant, yeah. they, need, they need dealing yeah. with and, you know, yeah. being able to enter yeah. into that scheme for payment. Yeah. And let's just be clear, Sen, so a winding-up order occurs when... So a creditor would be chasing for money, whether yeah. that's HMRC or a trade supplier, yeah. and they would basically say, I've had enough now. You've, yeah. you've, you've had multiple opportunities to pay yeah. me. I've never been yeah. paid, and they, they'll enforce that. Yeah. So they'll, they'll go to a CCJ at the High yeah. Court, and then yeah. they'll enforce that and issue a wind-up yeah. petition. Yeah. 
and then that petition lands and the directors yeah. it's the beginning of the end yeah because they can't pay the petition debt yeah. which obviously they can't because yeah. he's got to that stage yeah they're on the the way to yeah. a winding up hearing yes. and a winding up order yes so that's the worst case scenario for a director is to be wound up by the court yes because then they're into the insolvency services yes. the liquidator they'll drag them in for interview they'll yeah. look kind on their conduct if they've yeah. left it to go that far yes. and left people in lurch yes. in terms of employees and suppliers and stuff yeah. And it just comes with more criticism and, and yeah. I think it's, it's frowned upon. But, but again, I've seen it where the creditor does that, I'm going to say almost out of spite. So what you're saying is you can be on the front foot, you can do the CVA, you can do, or you can do other, other processes, you can be open and honest and transparent, let's say, because I'm not going to say, on, if I say honest, that suggests some things are dishonest. I don't mean that, but you can be transparent and you can get away from the taboo and you say, look, this is my issue. Um but sometimes I've known I've known of creditors who've gone well. I'm not going to get paid, so I'm going to make I'm really going to you know ruin that business, and they go for the winding up board for that, for that reason. And and that I think is what people need to understand that. Then the risk of I always say to people, you know, the risk of no action has potential consequences. And that's the worst one, isn't it? Then that somebody, as you say, you know, the credit control, you've not been paying them, and they just go, do you know what? I'm just doing this and I don't care what's happening. And they don't sadly think about the staff. They only think about some vendetta or grievance against the business owners and the directors. Yeah, I mean, if it's a CVR or an administration strategy, we've got the fallback of the court. We can go to and say, look, yeah. you know, we've got this creditor here, but this is what we're doing and this is a better result for everyone. Yeah. And we get the court to dismiss the petition. In a, in a voluntary liquidation, then they, they have to agree with the director to actually withdraw the petition to let, yeah. let the voluntary yeah. route continue and, and and what i've seen in my experience is we speak to the creditors and say look we're going to liquidation anyway yeah. we doing it our way we'll get there quicker yes. and get the employees yeah. paid yeah and we have to we just have to find some money to pay the petitioning creditors costs yeah. that they've incurred for the issue yeah. that petition yes and nine times out of ten they will say okay we'll have our money back and we'll let you crack yeah. on i see i've not yes. seen it i've not seen it where they said no i'm not happy because it's going yeah. to liquidation anyway yeah. you know so yeah. they're, not, they're not lost anything yeah Interesting. Okay, let's. I'm conscious of time. Um, let's just finish up with, I suppose, um, a few of the real situations of. Um, we used we opened the the episode today talking about sometimes with denial, and there can be denial, and there can be you know single owner operator doing that. But also one of the ones that I see very often is the area where there's a number of directors, and. You know, I've heard the phrase, well, finance wasn't my job, it was the MD's job. And, I've, you know, the, the, the sales and marketing director or whoever um, says, well, I can't be held responsible. I, 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 you know, I didn't, I, I never spoke to the accountants. I wasn't involved in this. Help people, help everyone understand that or help understand the director's responsibility as an entity, not, as you say, that the finger pointing that can go on maybe when this starts to happen. Yeah, I mean, as an insolvency practitioner, in an insolvency, the insolvency practitioner has a duty to investigate the conduct and the affairs of the company leading into the insolvency and has the powers to identify and pursue areas of potential recovery for creditors. So that suggests that like, there's been misconduct by the directors yeah. in concealing assets or selling yeah. assets off cheaply or taking money out or whatever. Yeah. So we have a duty to, to investigate and explore that bit. And we have a duty to report on the conduct of all directors yeah. to the insolvency service. Now, all directors are listed at company's house, yeah. but there's also directors who you know we've become aware of in our investigations yes. that they might not have been on the ticket at company's yes. house, but yeah. you know they were directors. Yeah. They've been holding themselves yes. out to be directors yeah. and the shadow directors. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. So those directors, it all depends on what's happened in the yeah. company. 
if there's been some you know misconduct yeah. then we have the powers to pursue that and, yeah. and re- obviously report yeah. it and and, and we, we pursue it for the for the financial benefit creditors yes. we report it for the disciplinary action yes. of the insolvency yes. service yes. and they can consider whether the conduct of directors is unfit yes, yes. and if it's unfit then they'll disqualify Risk them and take action yeah. and, and the un, unfit conduct is essentially like they've allowed it to carry on too yeah. long they've taken excessive benefits yeah. out of the company yeah. at the expense you know, without paying yeah. other people they have not paid taxes not filed yeah. accounts yeah. not kept books and records yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah, paint yeah. a picture yeah. um and you know they could have took money off someone and not delivered a service yeah. and stuff like that yeah. they would probably get you know reported and yeah. potentially disqualified yeah. for up to 15 years yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a second but so i just want to be clear that people recognize this but ignorance is not a defense so the you know the sales and market directory says oh but i never i never bothered i never uh, you know I, I, there is a you know you mentioned before about you know for, well we said about misfeasance but fiduciary responsibilities as a director of a business it is your responsibility to know the financial goings on the state of your business and sitting back and saying oh i never engage with that yep. is in my opinion that that's poor conduct in its own right is that fair to yeah, say yeah i mean yeah the all directors of the company have like a certain level of responsibility yeah. okay now but the director's conduct is judged upon yeah. that person's specific experience and skills as well so for example yeah. if you've got a director who's a qualified accountant yeah and he's in charge of the finances yes, yes. and you know yes. fails on his watch yes he's got to come under more pressure yes. than the director who's just listed as director yeah. but yeah. essentially he's a builder or a roofer yeah. or what yeah. you know so yeah. there is that defense yeah but they are they're all subject to the same yeah. sort of initial reporting and conduct issues and w- so you've you've said there about supposed to close you've said like what could lead to a director's ban and and as you say that's where the individual gets held as you know unworthy of that office and and can come in and say okay you cannot be a director you cannot you know own and that's where persons of significant control for anyone who's interested partly came in as well with company's house but what does what does life look like after this then? So talk through what does life look like. I suppose what look like looks like for the company depends on which process that yep. you administer. Um, what does it look like then for the staff? What does it look like for the directors involved, the shareholders, etc.? Yeah, I think I think we touched upon the you know, yep. the processes and the outcomes. Yep. I mean, as we said, liquidation, the staff get married, done, they have claims. Yep. Yep. Administration, if you sell a business, the staff yep. go with that. Yeah, uh, and a CVA, it's business as usual. So yep. in terms of the staff, yep. they're happy. Yep. You know, they've happy. Are they claims paid out of the government or yeah. they've got an, an employer yeah. going forward? Um, directors, they would deal with more of the practical issues in terms yeah. of, you know, can they get credit? Will yeah. supplier supply them? That yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously, what we've just touched yeah. upon is the liquidation yeah. if there's misconduct and that's the main yeah. issue that the directors yeah. have to be aware of yeah. uh, because things could get tricky yes. for them if they're found to yes. have, you know, been up to no good. Yes. And at the minute, I suppose the hot topic is the, um, the bounce back loan issue. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, all these companies had this yeah. um, this money to, to, yeah. to survive, yeah. um, and the insolvency service are hot on, A, have they um, fraudulently yeah. Yeah. obtained yeah. it, so they've manipulated the turnover, and B, have they used it for the purpose it was intended? Because yeah. we see people, you know, <laughs> straight away the cash comes yeah. in, Bank there's car. a big payment out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and then you have to unravel it and go yeah. after them and report yeah. it. So, yeah. so that's why. And then the only one, other one I can really think of for a, an impact on a director, just because a company goes into a process, the debts of the company are limited company debts, limited yeah. liability status. Yeah. Okay, so that that they they go with the company, yeah. Yeah. but there might be some where the directors personally guarantee. Yes. So yeah. obviously that would then kick in, yes. and they would have to come to their yes. own agreement yes. with that creditor to yeah. pay them off over time, yeah. make sure they're happy with it. Um, but again, conduct issues. If there's areas of misconduct where you know somebody's been up to no good and 
concealed assets or yeah. taken something, yeah. then that corporate veil is lifted. Yeah. And it's look, you're making yeah. a contribution now because you've yeah. caused a loss to creditors. Yeah. You pay it yeah. back. Yeah. Or you do as a deal and you make yeah. sure that you've, you know, you've, you've put something back for yeah. the creditors to yeah. satisfy them. I'm going to say it's a, um, a potential minefield, um, but I think it's it's something that I always believe that, you know, if you're going to have a business, if you're going to be a business owner, I think it's, I've always lived my business life by the thing that says, understand as much as you, you know, you can, not what you think you need to understand, and also understand the potential downsides because... I see so many people in lots of aspects, and this is just one of them. The whole point of the Difficult Truth episodes is to say these are areas that if you start to recognise them, please, please don't sit on your hands. Please don't put your head in the sand. Engage with the right people who can help you. Um, our, our recent episode on employment law would have been the employment lawyer. Something today is the insolvency practitioner. So if somebody today, Jimmy, has resonated in with any of this or is worried about their their business viability or even their conduct they now recognize the decisions they've taken in what they believe is in the best interests might not be how does somebody find you and how does somebody engage with yourself yeah i suppose the, the easiest one would be just just to find me on linkedin yep. jimmy fish at cowgills um you know send me a message uh, my, my mobile number will be on there yep. ring me anytime I'm, I'm always happy to provide you know no obligation yep. advice um just as and when needed um just explain that no obligation advice is what that's a view on an opinion what what's because we, we always talk about that be careful of the difference between advice and opinion so what, what when you say <coughs> no obligation obviously you can't be giving them um if you like the process piece so what, what does that first engagement look like and then what 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 is a formal engagement so i, I mean a typical day a typical day for me is my phone will ring and it'll be, it, it might be an accountant saying they've got a client who's struggling yeah. or it might just be a random number comes yeah. up and it says oh um, I know such such a body who works yeah. somewhere. They give yeah. me your details. Yeah. Can I have a chat with you? Yeah. I've got this. I've yeah. got a company. I've got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we just start from the beginning. Like, well, what's the position? Yeah. Um, what are the issues? Yeah. You know, and then I sort of give them a, a flavour yeah. of where yeah. the advice would, yeah. would go to yeah. and what the options are. Yeah. And if it's, it becomes something more formal, yeah. great. If he doesn't, I've not waited anything. I've just yeah. tried to help somebody and you know, Fantastic. wish him the best. Brilliant. Well, listen, that's a fantastic place to stop. Um, as always. Um, you know the value in these uh, episodes and these podcasts is always the the guests. So obviously, I want to say thank you, Jimmy, for your time given. I think we've had a, a, a an amazing conversation. As I say, I I wish on every person that listens to this episode that this is not something they need to uh, worry about. But I push and everybody understand it because it's about recognizing it, it's about seeing it, and it's about doing something with it and taking proactive. Uh, transparent action to protect yourself your business uh, and all and all your shareholders and your stakeholders so um, i've been stuart thanks for listening again and hopefully we'll uh, have you back in the map room soon season two of the map room has been brought to you by map the outsource finance function for digital agencies subscribe via your usual podcast app to never miss an episode